0: After the Great War, the survivors of Appalachia formed the factions which would struggle to rebuild, defend, or pillage. The Enclave plotted to finish the war with China from its bunker below the White Spring, while the Free Staters looked forward to a future without government interference. The Responders, a group of police, firefighters, doctors, and citizen volunteers, banded together to help those in need and bring order from chaos, and rebuild Appalachia. David Thorpe and his raider gangs became the scourge of the region taking what they wanted from whomever they wanted, building a kingdom for themselves in the Savage Divide, and Taggarty's Thunder joined the Brotherhood of Steel to find and safeguard technology for the future. None of them were prepared for what came next. This special Fallout 76 Modus Files podcast miniseries will follow each of these factions in their final days and hours, and reveal the stories of The Last Days of Appalachia. Enclave President Thomas Eckhart unleashed all manner of horrors on the people of Appalachia in his mad desire to gain access to the region's nuclear silos and finish the war with China once and for all. But when you live by the sword, you die by the sword. In 2086, an Enclave patrol finds itself cut off and lost deep in the mire. Communications with the White Spring Bunker have fallen silent, and old experiments are turning on their creators. Sergeant Miller, Enclave Scout, finished disassembling the short-range transmission dish and stowing it in his pack. He wasn't in a rush to get back down the hill, because the lieutenant wasn't going to be happy with what he had to report. He climbed down the incline, careful to avoid the jagged rocks and exposed roots which dotted the mountains of what the locals were calling the Savage Divide. Since the war, the various factions had renamed areas of Appalachia to better reflect the new conditions. The Divide was overrun with tourists-turned-raider gangs, and they used the old ski resorts and hotels as their base of operations. Looking to the south, Miller could see the top of the World Ski Tower far in the distance. It dominated the landscape and gave the raiders a prime location to plan and conduct raids across the region. Early on, some of the bunker had tried to convince Eckhart to do something about the raider problem, but he was so fixated on his plan to nuke China that he'd waved them off, saying that they'd deal with them down the road, after finishing off communism and ending the war for good. Damn, man. The war ended back in 2077. But he'd never say that in the bunker within earshot of Modus or Eckhart. That was a guaranteed express pass to the experimentation wing. Now, of course, they had new problems. He reached the outcrop that sheltered the team's makeshift camp. He wasn't worried about security. Private Chalmers would have been tracking him with his sniper rifle from the moment he started back down the mountain. There wasn't a better shot in the enclave, despite what some of those army pukes tried to claim. Sure enough, he passed the private, nearly invisible in his ghillie suit and four scout armors still scanning the surroundings for any signs of the neighbors, or worse. Their current camp, if you could even call it that, was perched along the edge of the Divide in the area now known as the Mire. Below them, the thick canopy blocked their view of the ground and it seemed to stretch on forever to the east and south.
1: What's the fucking story, Miller? The
0: lieutenant was waiting for him, arms crossed with a scowl on his face.
1: Yeah, the LT was pissed.
2: Should have expected that.
0: He took off his beret and slapped it against his hip as he looked around the camp before settling on his commanding officer. The lieutenant had been running Team Epsilon for a couple of years now. Still angry he hadn't made captain yet, and this last excursion out into the mire didn't do a thing to improve his attitude.
1: Spit it out, Miller. We are waiting.
0: The sergeant put his cap back on and dropped his pack onto the ground. Not a goddamn thing, sir. Stead silent.
2: I got nothing on any bunker frequency. Hell, I'm not picking up any enclave traffic at all from anywhere. It's like they fell off the face of the earth or something.
1: That's not possible. Everything was fine when we checked in last. You did check the equipment, correct?
2: No, fuck you. I'm the Communications Specialist for a reason. Yes sir, I did. In fact, I'm still getting signals from everywhere else. Raiders, Responders,
0: Free
3: States idiots, and even those traitors down south. Maybe Command's running a drill. Communications blackout or something?
0: Yusuf was the team's heavy gunner. An ace with a gatling plasma, but no one would call him the sharpest tool in the shed.
3: <laughs> if they were running an Enclave-wide drill, they'd have told us you dunderhead.
0: The corporal gave her a dirty look, but he knew better than to respond. Private O'Bannon should have been made sergeant or even lieutenant by now. She had been running patrols and collecting specimens for the Enclave almost as soon as the skies cleared after October 23, 2077, but she refused every chance of promotion. She never liked the idea of command and dreaded the idea of being locked behind a desk. She was mostly a loner and Miller had been surprised when O'Bannon volunteered for this little excursion. She usually took orders as suggestions and was a pain in the ass to work with. But no one knew the terrain better or had more experience, so the team was happy to have her along. They'd had some close calls back in the mire. Something really bad had happened back soon after the war. Enclave patrols started reporting lots of strange animals and these weird red vines that grew everywhere. Of course, Eckhart had them collect specimens, but they lost a lot of good scouts in the process. Miller felt like they drew the short straw for this patrol. Modus had gotten a twitch, a very faint Enclave transponder signal coming from somewhere to the far north of Appalachia. After being cut off from the rest of the Enclave since the war, it sounded like a good idea to check it out. So Command, which meant Modus and Eckhart, tasked Team Epsilon with finding the source of the signal and reporting back. That had been almost three weeks ago.
2: I shouldn't be here.
0: He had rotated off field assignments to get some much needed rest and relaxation. But the team's regular sergeant, Stein, had a baby on the way, and he'd been given leave to stay with his wife, Molly, another Enclave scout. That damn Molly never
2: liked her. Her father had been the last surviving general
1: in the bunker before it dropped out of a heart attack. Since then, she'd been getting chummy with Santiago's guys. Sergeant, I want you to double-check the gear again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you say it's working, but we need to make sure. We're hell and gone from the nearest support and we need to know what's going on. O'Bannon! What, LT? I need options. What's the best way to get out of here?
3: <sighs> As I see it, LT, we can either head back into the Mire and south, or try to make it over these mountains till we hit the rail line. Past the old observatory, we can try and find a pass to get us further south. But who knows what the Raiders have been doing.
1: Shit. I really don't like those options, Shelley.
0: The LT rarely used first names, but he and O'Bannon went way back, even to before the war.
3: (sighs) Call it like I see it. This little detour to get to the high ground hasn't helped us much. Not a lot of friendlies around. Those free staters are likely to shoot us on sight. Not to mention the raiders.
0: The lieutenant kicked a stone with his boot. It skidded across the camp and then over the edge down into the valley below. It was going to be dark soon, so either they needed to start moving or they'd be here for the night, or longer. LT, what's the plan? First, you
1: check the equipment and we try to contact command again. Second, the private is going to scout the area to the south.
0: O'Bannon gave the lieutenant the finger behind his back.
1: And then we'll figure things out once we know what we're dealing with.
0: Yes sir. The team got to work. They might not be happy about it, but they bled Enclave, and orders were orders. As Miller broke out his equipment again and started running through the checklist, he thought about what had led them here. MODIS had only been able to give them a vague location for the signal, so vague that the LT had even called it a snipe hunt. But they went anyway.
3: Long gone are the days
1: where people sing about West Virginia as almost heaven. After nuclear war and disease, it's Far From Heaven now. Far From Heaven, a Fallout 76 story podcast, is a tale of survival, conflict and hope set in the Fallout 76 game world. Join our survivors on their journey to reach that almost heaven once more. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon and many other great and apps. Far From Heaven, a Fallout 76 story,
3: available now.
2: took the team just over a week to get into the mire, dodging raider roadblocks and moving gangs. Then we had to work our way around the various Free State's outposts and Harper's Ferry. Eckhart wanted us to keep a low profile, so orders were to avoid and not engage unless it was absolutely necessary. It was around Harper's Ferry that things really started getting weird, which from the mire was saying something. We crossed the river below Galleria, and we could smell smoke and hear gunfire coming from the direction of the settlement. Hell, probably some raid or internal dust-up. Those damn freestaters didn't respect any authority, even their own. We gave them a wide berth, but damn we still couldn't hear the firing from all the way up to the old church north of town. That night, Chalmers swore he had heard some weird shit, and a strange glow on the horizon coming from the direction of harbors. It had been more of the same old mire as they went north, It got darker and even more dangerous those damn strangler vines all over the place. We stumbled on a nest of gulpers, huge mutated amphibians. Yusef pulled our bacon out of the fire with his galling plasma. The boy might not be the sharpest tool in the enclave, but damn if he wasn't a fighter. We got up as far as the old Thunder Mountain power plant. A couple of teams scattered the area in the past, but now that those traitors calling themselves the Brotherhood of Steel had moved in, we'd been avoiding the area we never sent anyone north of it. I had radioed one last update to command, but it still couldn't give us clear directions of the signal before we had past the plant. As far as we could tell, the thick forest and swamps of the mire just kept going north, right up against the mountains which bordered the whole region. And somewhere, in all of that shit, was our objective. The next week had been a nightmare of hide-and-seek with the horrors of the mire. We didn't even... Had names for most of the things we had to kill or, hell, just run away from. A couple of times we thought we'd found a signal, come up on our pit boys and just disappear. It was like the mire was playing tricks on us, dragging us further into its grasp. The last day, old had stopped them in the middle of a dank swamp, being knee-deep in bog water. The LT wanted to push forward, but the private one let them move. She motioned for them to get down which was pretty damn uncomfortable in the cold, dirty water, but they all quickly forgot about it when the trees started moving up ahead. Yusuf pointed at something coming out of the trees ahead, I can begin to describe what exactly it was, but it looked like some kind of giant crab thing, massive and black, it was pushing itself forward, knocking over trees like they were twigs, none of us moved or said a word until it passed by us out of view. After that, the LT said fuck it and turn the team around. We'd already won check-in, but that was to be expected in long-range missions. The lieutenant didn't want to miss two in a row and wasn't going to keep risking the team at any idea of what they were looking for. So, he had to make a detour to the edge of the mire and the divide to gain some altitude and contact command. And that's when I made the call. Got absolutely nothing.
0: Shitballs. Miller reset the transmission circuits for the third time, with everything still coming up green. He'd been sending out their Enclave-coded identification squawks, but no one was responding. Hell, he wasn't even getting the automated responses, which were MODIS's version of a busy signal. He tried to raise some of the other outposts. There were Enclave research sites scattered around the region. There was nothing across any official channel. And it wasn't his equipment, because all he had to do was scan the frequencies, and there was plenty of chatter. Just none of it was what he wanted to hear. The sergeant had finally given up and delivered his report to the LT. He'd been incredulous at first, but finally resigned himself to the fact that at least today, they weren't talking to anybody.
1: Alright sergeant, we'll just try again tomorrow. Corporal, break out the rations, we could all use some food.
3: So what is it tonight,
1: Yusef? Let me guess, cram and
3: insta-mash again? Um, yeah. How'd you guess? Because it's what we
2: have for every meal.
3: (laughs) I really wish you guys would stop giving me such a hard time. It's all logistics gives us. Corporal, it's fine.
1: Chalmers, grab your food and get back up to that ridge. Enough chatter, folks. We don't want all of Appalachia to know we're here.
0: The lieutenant expected O'Bannon to be gone for a couple of days, three at the outside. And unfortunately, just like everything else, they lost contact with her as soon as she entered the mire. It was nearly noon on the third day when the private returned to camp. Chalmers gave them a heads up that she was making her way up to the hill towards them. Miller went to greet her and could immediately tell something was wrong. Her armor was scratched up and her pack was ripped. Even her hair, normally tucked under her beret, was laying across her face. And she wasn't even looking at him. O'Bannon? No response. She just kept walking. Shelly? He had never used her first name before. In the field at least. But when she finally raised her head, he could see something in her eyes he'd never seen before. He saw fear.
3: Gotta see the LT.
0: And she trudged past Miller like he wasn't even there. She went right up to the lieutenant and put her arm on his shoulder. She leaned over to whisper into his ear. Miller watched the two of them, and they were like that for a while. He could kind of follow the conversation just by watching the LT's eyes. The wider they got, the worse the news must have been. When she was finally done, O'Bannon half-walked, half-stumbled back to her spot, and sat down, head resting on her knees. What the hell, LT? The Lieutenant looked as if he was still processing what he'd been told. His eyes looked unfocused, like he was elsewhere. Miller finally grabbed the LT's shoulder and shook him.
3: What's the plan, Lieutenant? We can't go south. What the hell does that mean, LT? Something happened.
1: Some kind of attack at Harpers Ferry. Shelly doesn't know what exactly, but there's some kind of plague too. She found some folks, real sick, almost not human, and not mutants.
2: None of that made any sense. If there was some new disease or a threat that could take down a settlement like Harper's, command would know about, and they would
1: too. She's scared and confused, I think.
0: Well shit, I guess we get to be mountain climbers. The conversation was interrupted when Chalmers dropped down into the camp from his perch above.
3: Sorry to burst your bubble, but we ain't headed west either. Excuse me. Major raider movement over the hill here. Saw at least one of the gangs, maybe two. Counted six or seven new encampments, a few roadblocks, and scavengers galore.
0: He drew a quick map in the dirt showing the expanded raider positions.
3: Some of them are even headed this way. If we want to get out of here, we gotta leave in the next hour. It's gotta be east.
0: The lieutenant went back to his pack and pulled out his own paper map placing it down in the dirt over Chalmers' hastily drawn one, using his field knife to keep it in position. He knelt down and ran his finger along their route and examined their options. If what Shelley had said was true, and he hadn't told Miller the whole story either, they'd have to give Harpers a wide berth. Better yet, get back across the river and recross somewhere to the south. While tracing possible trails, he ended up on a particular map marker.
1: Tanagra Town.
0: Yeah, the lieutenant remembered now. Eckhart had sent a couple of research teams up there. He didn't know much about it, but it seemed like a pretty serious operation. A facility meant people. People meant support. And news. And better for them, it was in the right direction. Miller wasn't necessarily happy with the plan, but it's what they had. While the LT went back to talk to and Miller got Yusuf and Chalmers to break camp and get ready for a hike. Once they were down the hill, the whole team would head east. Then they tried to raise the folks at T-Town, as Miller decided to call it, to let them know the team was coming. Team Epsilon wasn't making very good time, and Private Bannon was no longer in the lead. Whatever she'd seen at Harper's Ferry, it had been a gut punch. She didn't look that great either. She said she was okay and had swatted his hand away when he tried to examine her. Miller didn't feel like pushing the issue. Chalmers ran point, but the lieutenant ordered him to stay close. Yusuf was bringing up the rear just in case the raiders tried to make a move from that direction. Miller hated how slow they were traveling. The mire felt different now. It was bad before, but this was worse. The trees cast long shadows which seemed to twist and move of their own volition. It was almost like the whole region was closing in around them, suffocating them with roots, trees, swamps, and whatever else they found themselves tripping over, walking under, or having to go around. They passed an old fire truck, a big one, lifted right off the ground by those damn red vines. A few times they had to stop as some horde of creatures shambled by. They saw more anglers, ghouls, and even more of those small crab things the text called mire Lurks. Miller crawled up to where Chalmers was keeping a watch of as another group of anglers disappeared in what looked like a large hole in the ground. You ever seen anything like this, Private? The sniper didn't turn around, but kept his rifle pointed in the direction of the hole.
3: Seen some weird shit, Sergeant. But this? Something's gotten spooked.
0: What the hell spooks
2: monsters? Bigger Monsters?
0: With night rapidly falling, Team Epsilon made camp in an old rail car backed against a small hill. Chalmers volunteered to take the top watch, while the rest of them would take their own turns during the night. Miller had been keeping a close eye on O'Bannon. She still hadn't recovered from whatever she saw at Harper's. The old-timers still talked about the thousand-yard stare, but this was beyond. And for the private, well, she'd seen the worst and come through with flying colors. Until now. O'Bannon set herself up in the corner of a rail car and just stared ahead, muttering to herself.
3: Shit, LT. What the hell happened to her?
1: Something bad. That's all I can say.
3: Not good enough. Not by half. She was fine, then she wasn't. We're in deep crap out here. Hell and gone from home when we can't get anyone from base on the line.
0: The lieutenant took another drag of his cigarette and then dropped it to the ground and crushed it under his boot.
1: A lot of what she said didn't make sense.
0: He looked over at the private, who was laying on her side, maybe asleep, maybe not. He took Miller by the shoulder and walked him out behind the rail car.
1: Okay, I'm telling you this, but don't say a word to the others. Fine, but I want to hear everything. Bats. She said she saw bats. Huge ones. Harper's Ferry was on fire, and there were these other things running around. Thought they were just crazy freestaters, but they weren't. Some of them attacked her when she got too close, hissing at her, speaking gibberish, and looking all black and burned.
0: Miller could tell that the lieutenant was conflicted, but he'd known the private the longest, and she didn't lie.
1: So she ran, found a family hiding in a cave, survivors from Harper's. A couple of them were sick, infected, or something. Said she watched a little girl turn into something that wasn't human anymore. And attacked and killed her own family right in front of her. Had to put her down when she came after her. Said the girl might have been twelve or thirteen at the most. And then? There were more of those things, and another giant bat. Said it chased her for a couple of miles before it gave up and flew away. I swear it sounds like a story out of those old radio shows. You know? Tales from the West Virginia Hills or something.
0: The lieutenant had lit another cigarette, and Miller noticed his hand was shaking. Miller had seen some strange shit since the war. Appalachia was full of creatures that rivaled anything that they used to hear about in the old stories, radio dramas, and folklore. But he still had a hard time wrapping his head around this. Do you believe her? I'm not sure.
1: Heard some rumors about some big research project down in the labs. Might have involved bats, but I don't know. Eckhart keeps that stuff pretty locked down. That's a long way from giant bats and a plague, LT. Yeah, I know. But she spooked something fierce. Had these scratches on her arm, too. Can't see her just making all that up for the fun of it. Can you?
0: The lieutenant reached for another cigarette, but the pack was empty. He crushed the empty pack in his hand and threw it out into the woods.
2: <sighs> okay, she can sleep tonight. We'll we get across the river tomorrow.
0: No questions
1: asked fine. Just go check on her, okay?
0: Miller climbed back into the railcar.
3: O'Bannon, you okay?
0: Oh, shit! She was gone. Her pack and rifle were still there, but she was nowhere to be found. He brushed past the lieutenant and did a quick circle to the railcar. Chalmers! What? Where's O'Bannon?
3: Huh? She's sleeping.
0: No, moron. She really isn't. She's gone. He could hear the sniper repositioning on top of the car. Miller imagined he was scanning the perimeter through his night vision scope. Hell, he and the LT had only been talking for a few minutes. She could have gotten that far, right? Where the hell is she? Fuck if I know LT. She was literally just here. Maybe you want to take a piss? Not funny, Sergeant. We need to find her now! The mire was no place for someone to just wander off. Chalmers, get on her trail. She couldn't have gotten far. Within a couple of minutes, the scout found it.
3: Sergeant, she went southeast. Towards Harper's.
0: Fuckity fuck fuck fuck! What the hell is she doing?
3: Chalmers and I will go get her.
0: No.
1: We'll all go. I don't want to lose anyone else.
0: Yusuf came back down from his hilltop position to see what all the fuss was about. Um, what's
3: going on? You guys plan on waking the whole neighborhood? Would you just shut up, Corporal?
1: Private O'Bannon took off, and we're going to bring her back. I don't need anyone else getting lost, and I sure as hell don't want to get ambushed by any anglers or worse. Shit. Yusuf's right, though. We're too exposed, too loud, and none of this makes any sense. Shelly's the best scout in the Enclave, and her being gone makes no sense.
0: It didn't take long for them to see the trail they were following. Wherever the private was going, she wasn't trying to hide it. After about ten minutes, they started finding pieces of O'Bannon's armor. Over the course of about a half mile, she shed her chest piece, arms, and finally her leg armor. By the looks of it, O'Bannon just stripped it off and dropped it. Chalmers didn't say anything, but Miller could tell he was spooked. The sergeant motioned for them to pick up the pace. They had to be close, but they were getting damn close to Harper's Ferry. The wind was blowing in their direction, and it brought with it the smell of smoke, death, and decay. They reached a small clearing just north of the settlement, when Chalmers raised his fist. Miller stopped for a moment, then crouched and slowly made his way over. The sniper pointed to the far side of the clearing.
1: O'Bannon's just standing there.
0: Sure enough, Miller could see O'Bannon in the faint moonlight, just staring in the direction of Harper's Ferry. He scanned the opposite tree line and listened, hearing nothing but the sounds of insects and the rustling of leaves in the trees. Cover me. O'Bannon didn't move. As Miller got closer, he thought he could hear something. The private was muttering something. Speaking to herself, he figured. When he got about 30 feet from her, he could see that she still had her service pistol, holding it in her hand, limply by her side. Miller decided to take a chance. Private? O'Bannon? What's going on? You okay? Her body swayed slightly, the pistol rubbing against her side. O'Bannon? Hey, Shelly, we need to get back. O'Bannon cocked her head to the side, like she finally heard him. She turned around and raised the pistol, and pointed it directly at the sergeant. Whoa, 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 Private, it's Miller. We're all friends here. He held up his hands, making sure his rifle was pointed up and nowhere in her direction. She didn't say a word, and Miller tried to get a good look at her. He couldn't tell if it was the light playing tricks, but she appeared to have dark spots over the side of her face, and more on her arms. She finally said something that Miller couldn't hear, and then she repeated it again, louder this time.
3: Not us.
0: The lieutenant was getting antsy. He finally got up and stepped out into the clearing.
1: Shelly, it's Jeff. Whatever's wrong, we'll figure it out, okay?
0: Let's get you back. She took a half step forward, but kept her pistol pointed directly at the sergeant. Shit, Miller thought to himself. She really didn't look good. Were her eyes yellow? She was looking at him, but she looked like she was seeing right through him. He took a slow step forward, and when she didn't react, he took another one. O'Bannon winced and brought her hand up to her head before letting out a hiss.
3: Never alone.
0: She dropped the pistol a bit, enough so that it was pointed closer to the ground than to Miller, and the sergeant took another few steps forward, now not more than a dozen feet away from the private. The closer he got, the more he could see. Nearly half of her face seemed to be covered in some kind of burns, with the skin taking on the color of charcoal and her eyes were looking as sickly the yellow. She finally noticed his advance and raised the pistol again. He hated to think she might shoot, but all he had to do was get a little closer. Then he'd figure he'd be able to get under the gun and tackle her, and then figure out how to get her back.
3: Hey there, Shelly. No need for the pistol, right? Time to go home, okay?
0: Something seemed to click with the private. Suddenly her eyes focused on him, and he thought he saw a little bit of the old O'Bannon.
3: There is no home.
0: Before Miller or the LT could react, Shelly raised the pistol to her head. In the horror of that moment, as O'Bannon's body hit the ground, a huge shadow blocked out the moonlight. Thank you for joining us for our inaugural episode of The Last Days of Appalachia. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe, and better yet, please leave a review to help others find us. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Modus Files, for more information about this miniseries and our main podcast, The Modus Files. I'd like to thank our cast, Austin Rogers as Sergeant Miller, Gray Fox as the Lieutenant, Letitia Lemon as Private O'Bannon, Will Wonka as Private Chalmers, and Aaron Foster as Corporal Yusuf. We'd also like to thank Harry Skingle for providing the cover art for our miniseries and Brian Grisborne for the musical selection and a shout out to the apocalyptic aristocracy discord home to a great group of fellow creators, the robots radio podcast community and the rest of the robots radio rocket club and Jeremiah Johnson, our favorite character artist who provided the wonderful character artwork you can find on our website. Lastly, thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. We look forward to seeing you all again for our next episode in this series bitter defiance.